Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. Joining me once again, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Joe. I'm a little uh, little messed up with the time changes, as we were talking about before the call here, but uh, uh, it feels like it's way later than it is, but <laughs> I guess I'll survive. Yeah, it, this uh, this getting dark at uh, 4.15 or 4.30 or whatever it is, uh, it's every year. This is like every the, year. the worst like, three weeks of the year uh, just for my internal clock because I always feel like it's, you know, I look up and it's like, oh, it's 8 o'clock. I should be getting ready for, you know, whatever. No, nope, nope, it's 5. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We will we will power through. Uh, and as always, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at NHHSports. And uh, I know I said this last week, but I promise this week it, it, it should, uh, you know, unless something weird happens again, next week we will be back on our normal schedule, uh, meaning you can listen to the show uh, Tuesday morning at nh-highschoolsports.com. And I have uh, something very exciting to mention now. Uh, we The uh, Ninth State Sports Show now has uh, a sponsor. Uh, the show is proudly sponsored by Greenblatt and O'Rourke, PLLC, Founded in 2017 on the belief that the partners were stronger working as a team, the offices of Greenblatt and O'Rourke specialize in criminal, family, and business law, along with estate planning and litigation. Seth Greenblatt, Jim O'Rourke, Jeffrey Odland, Mary Lynn Rodell, and Laura Dudziak uh, take a collaborative team approach to representing their clients. With offices in Contacook, Milford, Plymouth, and Peterborough, they are available to work with you on your schedule. To contact Greenblatt and O'Rourke, call 603-746-1330 or visit golaw-nh.com. All right. I think it's time to uh, to talk about some football. Yeah, absolutely. And congrats on the sponsorship. Yeah, I think that's exciting. wonderful. Uh, very exciting to have them on board, and, uh, and I definitely appreciate that. Um, help us to do um, a couple things that... Uh, you know, maybe different things here that uh, that we haven't been able to do um, in the past. So I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we um, normally this week, you know, I, I found it kind of I found myself thinking uh, the other day, um, you know, this normal this week normally would have been the first week of playoffs coming up. This we're talking about Friday, Saturday, the 6th and 7th of November. Uh, we'd be talking about quarterfinals in D2 and D1 and semifinals in D4 and D3. And uh, I, I kind of wanted to, to um, you know, I guess or I guess we should start and talk a little bit about last week's games because there were some interesting things that went on there. Uh, you know, the, the one of or, um, number one of all was was uh, a game that was rescheduled to Sunday, that Merrimack Nashua South game. Um, just a, a remarkable comeback. South got out to a 20 nothing lead in the first quarter. Merrimack ends up coming back and winning 27, 26. Uh, and just um, just a remarkable game. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I, I I cannot possibly claim, nor do I think anybody could, to to have seen or or even read about every game this season. But I can't imagine, given the storyline that unfolded there, uh, that you'd be able to point to a more epic uh, or improbable uh, just outright entertaining high school football game in New Hampshire yeah. this year. I mean, that's got to be right now anyway, the the crown jewel of of this season anyway. What what an amazing story. I can't think I'm trying I was trying to remember off the top of my head. I, I mean, comebacks in in high school football um are 
very few and far between. At least comeback comebacks from from multiple scores down in the first quarter of a game. I mean, it was twenty one nothing in the first quarter, or excuse me, twenty nothing. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to think of the last time that happened, and I think the the only game I can think of is um, going back to twenty fifteen, the um, Bishop Girton Bedford uh, first round game quarterfinal game that took place at Stellos when um, it, oddly enough Bedford had. It was one of those situations where Bedford finished second in the North Conference uh, with their only loss being to Goffstown. But because BG won the West Conference, Bedford had to go to BG despite beating them. I think BG was a three-loss team that year in the regular season. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of expected Bedford to win that game. And I want to say on their first three drives, BG scored, and it was something like 21 nothing or... 28-7 or something like that in the first half. And that's the only, and Bedford came back and won that game. Uh, and that's the only time I can really remember something like that happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't, especially not down that quickly to a team that I think admittedly was on paper the favored team. Yeah. Right, Merrimack had, has, had, didn't really have a signature win this season, right? And they, they really took it on the chin against Salem. Uh, in their second game, I don't think it was the second week of the season. No, I think it was there like were the some cancellations. Season, yeah, yeah, right. You know, and and Merrimack, yeah, that's a good point. Merrimack had lost uh, a, a percentage of their season, a significant percentage, you know, being shut down because of uh, COVID concerns within the the school and the athletic community um, at, at Merrimack High School. So, it, just an improbable series of, of events, right? And and also, it wasn't just. Um, Nashua coming out and kind of blasting them in the in the first quarter. I mean, Merrimack had to overcome their own miscues. There was a um, an interception, a pick six, yeah, yeah, pick six that that uh, you know I, I just can't even begin to imagine the amount of mental toughness and just belief in themselves that they had to have overcoming that kind of a deficit. Not just we're down twenty to nothing, but we're down twenty to nothing, and we've pretty much spotted them. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a couple touchdowns based on the way things had worked there. Uh, of course, that win sets up, um, of course, it, it, that one and then uh, Nashua North's uh, 35-6 win Friday night over Bishop Girton sets up uh, round three in the playoffs here of uh, Merrimack versus North. Um, you know, it's funny to think, I, I mean, it, it obviously they're, they're rivals in many sports, Um but if you'd ask me to name it off the top of my head, I, I probably would mention five or six other ones in Division One before I got to Merrimack North. But the fact that these two teams have played now, this will be the third year in a row that they've met in the quarterfinals. Uh, ever since Merrimack moved in from the South into the West Conference, they've met every year. And Merrimack has won both those games in kind of um, I, I, odd fashion, I guess I would say. Two years ago, it was that kind of mud bowl game uh, where – you know, a lot of there had been a lot of rain Friday night. Fields across the state that Saturday were just mud pits. That was a what? It was a scoreless game that went to overtime, and Merrimack ended up winning what seven to six, if I remember correctly. It was either seven six or six nothing or, or so, something. Yeah, I was I at the game. Right. You yeah. think? Yeah, I think that's. I right. remember, and, and it also not only had the weather been bad the night before, but it, they just got monsooned. Uh, you know, right around halftime, it oh, just yeah. cut yeah, that's loose right. and yeah. just poured yeah. and made the field even worse for the second half of play. And of course, um, uh, last year you had, um, you know, North was out 
with was without Curtis Harris Lopez, uh, as he'd gotten hurt in the second half of their regular season game two weeks before. So you had uh, Merrimack as the four seed coming in and knocking off an unbeaten uh, Nashua North team in the quarterfinal last year. So this year, um, I, I imagine North is is just you know. Uh, 100% laser focused on this game and and you know it, it's I think it's going to be a pretty good one yeah and it was a missed opportunity during the regular season right, if yeah. I remember correctly yeah, they, they were scheduled play. to go what week two or three yeah, I think week two I believe and so you know again you know I've been around football in the locker rooms long enough to know that you, you lose to a team in the playoffs the previous year you've got that one circled yeah. Um, and you're and you're geared up for that one, you know. If you have the opportunity to play that that team the following season, and everybody can pretend like oh, it's just a game, and you know all, all that coach speak stuff. But the reality of it is, you know, the, the players and the coaches go into that game feeling like, hey, that hurt last year, getting knocked out by those guys. We're gonna go, you know, we're gonna go try to give them our best shot. So, yeah, you've got to expect that. I I can't I. I you know, we we made picks last week a little bit, which is something that we do very rarely, yeah, right? I think yeah. we try to just kind of present our feelings on the games and the players and stuff. But uh, I, I thought it was fun making the picks. I'm going to beg you not to make me pick this one because because <laughs> there's so much going on, right? That like in a vacuum, again on paper, I would say North is the favorite by far. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know how you could not say that in terms of just looking at the. The, the rosters and saying who, who has what and who's accomplished what in terms of quality of wins and things. But then you look at what Merrimack did last week. I mean, that was a, I mean, I'm something of a, of a Merrimack football historian just because I, I grew up there. I coached 10 years there. I played football there and that was probably Merrimack's best win since, you know, the double overtime win they had against Timberlane in 2002 when they were, they were down by three scores with seven minutes left and came back and won that game in double overtime. I mean, that that's how massive a win that game yeah. was against South. So how do you count them out? I don't know that you <laughs> I, can. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, and I'm sure people did last year too, even with, you know, with the injuries that North had. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, so that game is, is uh, scheduled for Friday night, 630. Um, just was checking the weather real quick, but right now it says that uh, Friday night in Nashua, it's supposed to be 46, uh, clear skies, Winds light and variable, so uh, definitely a change from from last Friday night when uh, it looked like last Friday night watching that BG North game, it felt like a Thanksgiving game. Yeah, <laughs> because I was freezing, there was snow all over the place. Uh, I'd come from a game earlier in the day that the field hockey finals had been that afternoon. Um, it just had a weird feel to it. So so this this one uh, probably a little unseasonably warm, which will be nice after the last couple of days. Yeah, and the mild conditions may favor, you know, North, um, you know, sort of uh, unveiled a, a bit of a passing attack. Yeah. That, you know, I think we always kind of knew they were capable of that, but that's not what they lean on. Right. Um, but, you know, that, that could favor them a little bit there, too, if, if uh, Merrimack's defense comes to play again and they need to be multidimensional. You know that they can be, and, you know, that it's not going to be against a driving wind or on a snowy field. You know, that, that'll help. Yeah, uh, the winner of that game gets uh, moves on to the semis, where they'll face the winner of uh, the Londonderry at Salem, uh, which is scheduled for Saturday at one o'clock. 
Uh, Salem, of course, uh, advanced with a 53-6 to win over Alvern uh, that was scheduled for last Friday but ended up getting pushed to Saturday afternoon. And then in probably one of the, I don't know, stranger kind of games I've seen, uh, Londonderry, uh, their offense kind of opened up in the fourth quarter. They beat Wyndham 21-2. to um, Sounds almost like a bad lacrosse game uh, final score if, uh, yeah. if I really think about it. But, yeah, it was – and that one, like I said, it was it was seven to two Londonderry going into the fourth quarter. Uh, just you had Wyndham came out in that game and and moved started moving the ball on their first drive and ended up having to punt. And they pinned Londonderry at the one yard line. Uh, and on the next play, tackled uh, Dylan McEachern in the end zone for for a safety. Yeah, they get the ball back and drive right down the field. And um, you know they had I want to say. Uh, I don't remember if it was yeah it was had to be first and goal at the at the Londonderry nine had some trouble moving the ball but on fourth down were able they scored a touchdown and had it called back on a hold and then line up to kick a field goal Londonderry blocks it and from there um, you know Winden they had opportunities they moved the ball in between the twenties but when it got time to get you know into the red zone they just had they struggled mightily to to try to do anything there and. Londonderry's defense really bailed them out in that one. Yeah, well, we've been talking about Londonderry's defense quite a bit this year. Um, you know, and again, I think you tend to talk towards offense because that's where stats get kept and points get scored. But, um, you know, we've, we've tried to focus more on some of these great defenses that have been around this year. Sauhegan, Pelham, and, and Londonderry is definitely up there. Um, and, and I'm not sure you, you may have the – sort of the statistics on that game. I'm not sure whether the statistics would tell the story, but I think the point that you made about being able to tighten up um, in the red zone and on the goal line, you know, you can give up all the yards you want, but if you're not letting up points and you're really tight in those, in those zones, in those areas, then that's all you need. And Londonderry's defense has been pretty good this year. Yeah. I, I, funny to mention, I do actually have the stats from that game in front of me. Um, and, and like I said, they were strange, kind of strange stats. In the first half, um, I had uh, Wyndham with 94 yards rushing compared to Londonderry's 28. And the re- but, but that number is, probably deserves some kind of asterisk or something because the reason it was that low for Londonderry was because they had three plays in the first half where you know the snap went over McEachern's head and mm-hmm. um, you know he had to chase it down and fall on it, and it on one drive it happened on two consecutive plays plays after they'd picked up gains of um, you know pretty big gains in the run game. So you know it was it was a very strange half. But then you look at the second half, and I had Wyndham with 19 yards rushing and Londonderry with 126. So it was a complete huh. complete flip there. Yeah, you know, and that's so frustrating too. I mean, when you're when you're a hundred percent shotgun team, I mean that that snap has to be as automatic as anything else you do in your offense. And I, I've, I've seen nights where teams for whatever reason have struggled with that exchange and uh, man, that's got to be frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it takes the wind out of your sails. Just to have one of those, forget about, you said there was three that contributed to that. Three all in the first half. Yeah. It was and like I said, two back to back, which were, you know, they picked up a couple first downs and then all of a sudden they're moving backwards. And I think they ended, in, ended up having to punt. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was. It was. They were killers. Um, you know, it, Londonderry was down two nothing uh, until the like the final moments of that first half too. They ended up scoring on a uh, 
a pass from McEachern to uh, Will Reyes that made it 7-2 to two with about 145 left in the half. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought Wyndham at first was going to give the ball right back to him and Wonder he might have another chance to score because uh, they tried to throw the ball um, after that drive and had a couple incompletions and ended up um, almost getting in the end zone themselves. They, you know, last play the first half, uh, Rocky Harris hit um, Joey De Silva with a pass to like to the one yard. It was inside the one yard line, uh, and um, Lunder was able to make the stop and came off the field. They went into halftime up seven to two, and I, I mean, like I said, it was just there were just some big swings in that game, and uh, and then Lunder was able to pull away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and it's as strong as Lunder has looked at times this season. They they have been a little inconsistent. Um, certainly more inconsistent than I think I originally expected them to be based on how they came out of the gate. And, you know, we talked about their defense and, you know, that I actually think that's kind of that team's um, calling card this season. And they're going to need it because Salem has put up some points over the past few weeks. It definitely Um, looks like a different Salem team from when they played uh, week two of the regular season. Uh, I mean, Londonderry shut them out in that game. And, and since then Salem's offense has gone off. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they found a little bit of, uh, you know, we, I think we had talked after week two about that, the, the type of offense that, um, that Salem runs does take a lot of coordinating in terms of blocking schemes and timing of the running backs hitting certain things. Not like every offense doesn't, but I think, I, I think, uh, uh, the the wing T offense that um, Salem runs relies more on that type of thing, right? It, it, yeah. It's a lot of, you know, the play has to hit a certain way just as the blocks are taking place. And, and you know, you got to kind of figure out which side of your line does what better and all those kind of things. Well, you know, they figured that out. They, they kind of broke out offensively against Merrimack and they haven't really slowed down since then. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, uh, what has been a very explosive offense in the second half of this shortened season against what I think is one of the better defenses in division one. A bit of a, a streak on the line for actually in both games. Uh, so I believe that uh, Salem has been in the semifinals the last three years in a row, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, three, the last three years in a row, or maybe the last four. So they've got that streak on the line with this game. And then on the other side, Merrimack has been a semi semifinalist, uh, I think three of the last four years. So mm. uh, interesting, interesting to note. Um, and on the other side of the bracket, you had um, Goffstown had you know no problem with Concord. They won that one forty to fourteen. Uh, they'll be hosting Bedford, which uh, in in kind of almost a um, a mirror of Memorial's game the week before against Goffstown. Memorial gets out and scores first against Bedford, uh, and then the Bulldogs end up winning thirty one to eight. Uh, so final score looked a little bit like that, but that one, uh, another kind of, you know, strange score going into the fourth quarter. I think Bedford was up 11-8 to eight going into the fourth quarter of that game. Huh. So, yeah, and then scored, what, 20, point, 20 uh, points in that one to win 31-8, um, setting up a, a what should be another great quarterfinal, uh, Bedford-Goffstown. Um, you know, they've played each other quite a bit over the years in uh, in the playoffs, and um played a close game the first week of the regular season this year. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, just the way it worked out, there's a lot of week one rematches 
uh, on the schedule for this week. And, and, and this was one that caught my attention because, you know, that has, as we talked about in our, our, you know, our week one preview, this, this has been a pretty good little, um, I guess, developing rivalry uh, over the last five or six years, the, the Goffstown yeah. uh, Bedford rivalry, right? Two division one programs, geographic neighbors. They're both programs that sort of rose up from uh, the old division three to division two to division one. So they, they took that same path um, and they've both been perennial um, contenders at least since their arrival in division one. So they both have very similar storylines and, and makeups and again, kind of the same geographic location. So it's a, it's a great little matchup and, and it has been for some time. I think both sides really get up for it. They, they get emotional about it. And, you know, again, it's kind of fun to revisit what was a week one matchup and a good one at that, you know, in terms of <clears throat> that collection of rivalry games that they had week one. And, uh, it, you know, it's always nice to see how far teams like that have come over time, you know, and, and has there been a change? What's the score going to look like this time sort of thing? I, I, I think that's an exciting one to keep an eye yeah. on. Yeah, they uh, they first met, uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, 2009. And I think Goffstown might have still been in D2 at that point. If I might be wrong about that. Yeah, no, in nine, we were all in three together. Was it? Because I, th- I, I remember yep. Goffstown did move up for a stretch there. They were up in Yeah, D2 they were. They went up in, I can't remember when it was, but we, I remember I, I was coaching at Hollis okay. in, in 2009, and they definitely, Goffstown and Bedford were both in the league. So just looking at this real quick, for those first couple of years that they were both in D3, they went back and forth with alternating uh, who won those games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty, and you know, just a, a very competitive series. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that Saturday should be a, a competitive game. That, that one's set to kick off Saturday at 1. Um, also kicking off Saturday at 1, you mentioned, uh, you know, D1 rematches, and, and this one um, – you know, not only is it a, or excuse me, week one rematches, but not only is it a rematch, it's probably the biggest rivalry game of the uh, the weekend. You got Exeter going to Winnicott for a one o'clock kickoff. Uh, Winnicott for the second week week in a row beat Spalding. They won twenty six to eight. And then on the other side, you had Exeter continuing its hot streak. Um, you know, they won their fourth game in a row, going to Dover and winning fourteen to nothing. Um, in a game, you know, rematch of a game that Dover had won seven to six, um, probably about a month ago. Right. Right. So, and you know, we know that Dover was a really good team. Dover came into that undefeated, I think, yeah, right? Three, you know, yeah. And, and with some quality wins too, obviously they, they beat Exeter, uh, beat Exeter. They beat Winnicott. Yeah. So they had some big wins under their belt. Yeah. So you wonder whether this is kind of, you know, Exeter's, uh, you know, the, the the term has become cliche at this point, but, you know, is this a little bit of Exeter's revenge tour here? <laughs> um, you know, coming in and looking at this number four Exeter versus number one Dover last week. I mean, you know, I think in the in the conference, Exeter's not used to being referred to as number four, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Um, probably took that pretty, pretty seriously. And, uh, you know, we know that Exeter is is brilliantly coached. I mean, I, I think Winnicott and Dover are very well coached as well. But you might have one of the best in New Hampshire at Exeter, uh, and I don't I don't know anybody would even debate that. Um, yeah. I sure as heck am not going to debate it in my own <laughs> mind. I I know uh, Bill Ball's coaching very well, having gone up against them uh, when when I was at Merrimack, and you know that was always one of my favorites, just because you knew you were going to get 
everything was going to be tough. Yeah. From the scheme to the way that they execute to, you know, how are we going to be able to use what they do against them? Uh, probably not because they have a counter to it, you know, in terms of <clears throat> the way they would run their coverages or their defense. I mean, it's just, he's just a really, really good coach. So I like seeing that, that they've, you know, kind of pulled themselves up out of a tougher start having lost what their first two, right? Yeah. They started 0 two. And now they have a chance to avenge those two losses uh, when it really matters. It's, uh, you know, and, and the added dimension, like you said, of Exeter Winnicunit being one of the best rivalries in the state, probably right up there with Londonderry Pinkerton. Yeah. Um, in terms of the attention that it draws and the history that it has. And that's, that's an awesome one right there. Um, yeah, so that game is Saturday, 1 o'clock. Same with uh, Bedford at Goffstown. Uh, in Division Two, we've got another uh, a week one rematch, as you you referred to there, uh, Friday night, where you've got uh, Hollis Brookline playing at Sauhegan. Hollis Brookline got a uh, 33-14 win over Milford last weekend, and Sauhegan, of course, uh, advanced after uh, Manchester West pulled out of the out of the tournament. So. Uh, you know, this is uh, like I said, a, another uh, a rematch here of a game that um, Sauhegan. It, it it probably, I mean, it was a what three touchdown game. Um, Sauhegan didn't give up a point to Hollis Brookline, um, and I don't know, was it was it a actual? I mean, could they have won by more? Or was it just a week one kind of a, you know, f- figuring out where things are kind of going to go uh, for Sauhegan? Yeah, it, it's tough to read. I I have a feeling that. Um both teams have, have come a long way since then. You might have to give the advantage uh, in that dimension to Sauhegan, though, because as we were talking about last week, Sauhegan's one of the few teams in the state that has had, well, except for last week, had had, I <laughs> should say, yeah. an uninterrupted regular season. Yeah. They, had, they had gotten the opportunity to play all their games. They had performed uh, pretty amazingly through the course of that, especially defensively. Um, again, we talked about them being probably one of the best defenses in the state at this point. And, uh, and so, you know, I I would say Hollis has had a more topsy turvy path this season in terms of different, you know, having to cancel out on games or what have you. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say which team may have the edge in terms of how much they've advanced and found an identity since week one. Um, You know, a couple of weeks ago, Hollis had a really good win against, uh, Timberlane, which we thought at the beginning of the year was going to be a, a pretty good contender this year. And, and, you know, beating Milford convincingly last week, um, I, I guess is, you know, is never anything to shake a stick at. So right. I don't know, Joe, I, I think you could look at that one and say, that's, that's still probably going to be a tightly contested game. I think the big question will be, um, can Hollis's offense manage to get rolling against that Sauhegan defense? Yeah, that's going to be a, a you know <clears throat> something that that they'll I, I kind of one of the keys there, and I think uh, you know I think that might be some place that Hollis has improved. It sounded like they had um, kind of figured some more things out. I mean, of course they were they were replacing some some huge uh, contributors from the championship team last year. I mean, new starting quarterback, um, you know just a new skill guys pretty much all over there except for outside. Yeah. With the uh, exception of like Bergerson and, and um, Thermitis. Yeah. And Th- Andre Thermitis, who's yeah. a, a great player, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's just that alone is going to be uh, a big benefit for Hollis is that they have some of those questions answered now. 
but then again, you're also seeing a Sauhegan team that is uh, well rested and has put its you know figured its own stuff out too. Um, yeah. So that that's a big difference too, and it, that I like that they're uh, I like that they're going to play this game on Friday, uh, Friday night, six thirty kickoff there. And uh, you know, you look at the other side of their bracket too. They got another Friday night game uh, in a really interesting matchup. It's a, another rematch. Um, get St. Thomas at Timberlane. Uh, Timberlane uh, actually for, got their second win of the year over Sanborn too, forty-two to six last week. And in a, a result that um, you know, I wondered if we'd see something like this. You had St. Thomas that went into uh, last weekend zero and five. Uh, going up against a Pembroke team that was not only playing in its first uh, playoff game, but hosting its that game after going three and one, and uh, of course St. Thomas gets their first win, twenty-two nothing over Pembroke. Yeah, and I I think I think this is an interesting matchup for a number of reasons, but the the I think the main one is that these have been two teams that I think. Um, and, and I don't mean this like disrespectfully or anything. I just mean it quite factually. I think that a lot of people in, in New Hampshire expected more from both of these teams yeah. this season. And, you know, that's, that's a little unfair to say, given the circumstances, right? We don't really know what impact some of the, the pandemic might have had on their rosters uh, or their preparation, et cetera, right? You don't know if there were key guys that decided not to play this year and bowed out. Um, you know, there's all kinds of little factors there. So, right. so, you know, I, I don't, I don't say that cavalierly, but I just think, you know, I actually say it more complimentary. Those are programs that, um, you would you expected to come in and be good because of the situations they found themselves in. And, and, uh, I, I know Timberlane has been down in D one for a couple of years, but that's a program with a long tradition of success. And, you know, um, St. Thomas kind of the same thing, right? I mean, they were very, very good in division two for, uh, some time. And so I think this is a good matchup of two teams that have struggled a little bit this year. And it's a great opportunity for one of those teams to put that behind them a little bit and, uh, and, and move deeper on into the playoffs. And, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be kind of a dogfight, right? Both of those teams are going to have to overcome some of the adversity that they've faced this season and put that aside and just be, um, you know, be focused on, hey, it, it may have been a rougher ride than we anticipated, but we're here and we have to do the best that we can right now in the here and now. And I, I really like those kind of games usually yeah. that right there, there's, there's, uh, there's that whole element that we talked about at the beginning of the season of, you know, can, can we, uh, you know, can we rise up? Uh, even though, um, you know, we, we, you know, under normal circumstances, we, we might not have been a playoff team. Well, we, we are a playoff team and it was a unique opportunity this year. So can we rise up now when it counts the most and take advantage of it? And I think, I think that's a cool storyline for that matchup. Yeah. So both those games are, are Friday night at six thirty. um, winner of St. Thomas Timberlane and the winner of Hollis Brookline Sauhegan will meet, uh, in the semifinals. On the other side of the bracket, uh, you got a, a rematch uh, with uh, Kennett playing at Plymouth on Saturday at 1. Uh, Plymouth was a 42-7 winner over Merrimack Valley. Kennett a 46-10 winner over Guilford Belmont. Mm. You know, and this uh, this game, like I said, it's a, a rematch of a game earlier in the year that, that Plymouth won 21-20 uh, after they had to make a uh, fourth-quarter comeback uh, to beat Kennett. Um, yeah. You know, so that, that should be an interesting... Uh, game this uh, this weekend, and then on the other side of that bracket, you've got 
uh, Lebanon going to play Bo. Uh, those two teams did not play during the regular season. Bo last week uh, beat Hillsborough during Hopkinson 20-6, to while Lebanon for the second week in a row beat Hanover, uh, this time 37 to nothing. So, again, both those games are, are Saturday at 1. Uh, winner, winners will, again, move on to the semifinals uh, next weekend. Uh, and, he, you know, I, I, I think in that Kennett-Plymouth game is one that I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on uh, this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at the regular season matchup, one, which it's funny how many times, by the way, the story often is completely different when two teams that met in the regular season meet again later, right? You say, ooh, that was a close, low-scoring game or something, right? And then they meet again, and it's this big, high-scoring offense, you know, highlighted <laughs> yeah, game. You, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's yeah, funny absolutely. how that, that changes. But I think, too, then you look at um, the comparative scores in, in last week's prelims, you know, almost the same results in terms of their offensive production, you know, 42 points for Plymouth, 46 for Kennett and their defensive efficiency set only seven points. Plymouth gave up to Merrimack Valley, um, you know, who, who is a, a much improved team this year. And uh, certainly the same could be said of Guilford Belmont and, you know, Kennett only allowed 10 points there. So, you know, again, you look at a closeness of a regular season game, uh, comparatively similar opponents, they both just played. And the results there were nearly identical. Yeah, it's it's that that's that's a that could be a very very good game uh, that again might come down to the wire again. And, you know, b- before we uh, we move on too far, I did uh, I started out by mentioning, um, you know, that this would norm be the normal start of the playoffs. Uh, so I want to I want to go real quick just down the the teams from D one and D two that are in. And uh, and and see if this sounds like it would have been playoff matchups, you know, if we were drawing them up at the beginning of the year. So D one, you had you got Bedford, Goffstown, uh, Exeter, Winnicunit, uh, Merrimack, Nashua North, and Londonderry Salem. Hmm. I mean, sounds kind of like what, you know, maybe uh, uh, no Pinkerton in there. Of course, um, I I might have, you know, maybe picked them to get in there over Merrimack or you know Londonderry or somebody. I I don't know. Um, would have been very close. Um, yeah. You know, the other side, I did not expect, I think, Winnicunit to be a playoff team this year. But, um, you know, the way they've played, they've certainly proven that they belong in there. Yep. Uh, and then Division Two, you know, your playoff teams are, you know, the, the final eight, I guess you'd say. Kennett, Plymouth, Lebanon, Bow, uh, St. Thomas, Timberlane, and then Hollis, Brookline, and Sauhegan. Yeah. And I, you know what, I think at the beginning of the year, um, I might have said, yeah, those could be your eight teams. Um, just kind of a different path, obviously, you know, with everything being different this year, uh, a much different path than uh, we might have, ex- you know, expected them to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. I mean, that is almost exactly how you might have drawn it up, right? I mean, I think with the exception of you, you might have doubted Winnicunit just because they had a really tough 2019 yeah. season. But, you know, talking to Division One coaches, they're not surprised. Yeah. Um, they said they knew Winnicunit was going to be pretty good this year. And then on the Division Two side, I think the only one you might – shrug at would be the exclusion rather than the inclusion uh, of when it kind of the exclusion of Milford, um, you know, which is, you know, they basically punch their ticket almost every year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but other than that, uh, you know, that's, um, it's about what you would have expected. Yeah. Uh, of course, division three and division four, a little bit different. Um, we are at the semifinals uh, for both of those. Um, you know, in division three, you've got Stevens and Winnesquam on one side. Uh, Stevens was a 22-21 winner over Laconia in double OT. 
Uh, and of course, Winnesquam got a uh, a bye into the semifinals with only seven teams uh, participating in that tournament. On the other side, uh, you almost had another, uh, I guess, buy into the semifinals. Uh, initially, that uh, Campbell-Pelham game was uh, was taken off the schedule when Pelham uh, announced it was going to have to drop out of the tournament due to um, some COVID-19 uh, cases within the school community. Uh, and then I'm not exactly 100% sure on what happened, but I guess school officials got together with at the uh, probably the urging of some parents uh, involved with the football program, uh, met with uh, or talked to, you know, the health department in the state, determined it was okay to play. You know, Campbell was like, you know, I guess was okay with, you know, obviously was okay with removing the forfeit. They played Monday night, Pelham won 35 nothing. Uh, so they'll play, they'll host Monadnock, which beat Trinity 26-13. to That game will be 3 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, in a game that we probably, I think we talked about potentially last week, uh, being a game that at the beginning of the year we might have picked to be the championship game in Division Three, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I Division Three has been um, a, a little bit unpredictable this year, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, maybe to say the least, right? I mean, uh, I, I think the inclusion of Pelham in the division has really mixed things up a little bit, and I'm – you know, I know there was some controversy around, uh, you know, is the game on? Is it off? When's it going to be? Why was it off or on? And you were at that game. But, um, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, I think it was a really good thing that Pelham got to play. Yeah. Um, because they've been, they've, been, they've been pretty lights out this season. And they've continued that streak of having one of the, you know, again, we've talked a lot about defenses this season, having one of the best defenses in the division, um, blanking Campbell. Yeah. which I'm not sure that I expected that. I, I think I probably expected them to win, but I don't think I expected that they would have shut Campbell out. Well, they haven't um, – Pelham hasn't a lot, still hasn't a lot of point to a Division three team uh, yet this year. Yeah. Well, so, so maybe I should have expected it. <laughs> good point. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, that's, I think that's good that they got to play. I, yeah. And then on the other side, it's um, – you know, Manadnock kind of took it on the chin – a couple of weeks ago against uh, an, an a, divi- a lower divisional opponent in Newport. Yeah. Trinity came out of the gate, you know, smacking upper division opponents left and right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, right. They, yeah, they, they came out and be conquered and West to open the season. And, yeah. And did they beat BG? No, they, they did not beat BG. They lost to, uh, it was 28, seven was the, final okay. Game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I knew they had a, a flurry of, of non-division games and they were mostly playing up, but you know, and then, you know, so I, I almost expected Trinity to pull that one off. I mean, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I think Trinity has some pretty good athletes and, uh, you know, maybe Manadnock a little bit of the, uh, the shine had worn off of their armor, um, after that Newport loss, but, but no, I mean, it's pretty, pretty decisive physical win. I think, I don't, I don't think Trinity played their best game to be honest with you. Um, from what I was able to gather, I think there was, they made some mistakes and just didn't come out as, you know, looking as good as they have in previous games. But uh, it, it, it's it's been a harder to d- predict Division Three. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in definitely. terms of some of these results, I think. Uh, and then in uh, Division Four, uh, we get again two semifinal games. On one side, it will be uh, Fall Mountain, which was last year's runner-up. They beat Franklin forty to eight in the the quarterfinals. And then uh, they are playing at Newport, 
which beat Muscoma 44-6 to last weekend. And then on the other side, you have uh, Raymond, which beat Bishop Brady 14-13 to uh, last weekend uh, up against uh, Summersworth, which uh, was able to advance when uh, when Epping dropped out of the tournament. Um, so that those are your two semifinal matchups in Division Four. Yeah, and I think I thought you had mentioned or somebody had mentioned to me they heard that Epping just didn't have the numbers to feel comfortable competing. I, I think I, is that what I had heard, or I, did you hear? I mean, I I'm um, I feel like I might have heard that, but it would make sense because this year they. They did not play with Newmarket. They were not a co-op right. team this year, and and you know they've had lower numbers to begin with. Also started the season um, later than uh, than a lot of other schools, so um, that might have yeah entirely possible that that was the decision there was to was yeah. just it wasn't maybe it wasn't safe for the kids to physically to play. Right, right. I mean, if you if you have a if you have a couple people that you lose just through uh, injury attrition or what have you, and your, your numbers were already low and, and, you know, it's already been kind of a, a tough season in terms of losing your co-op and, um, you know, not having a full schedule, et cetera, et cetera. You, you gotta, you gotta make a tough decision there perhaps, yeah. but yeah. Any, uh, any final thoughts or, or anything you're, or one thing that you're really looking for this weekend as we head into the, uh, another round of playoffs here? No, I, I would be hard-pressed to name one, um, honestly, right? I, I think what I said earlier about the idea that there's a lot of, like, week one rematches here and a lot of um, kind of nice rivalry matchups, right? The Sauhegan-Hollis has been a good rivalry over the years. The Winnicott-Exeter, Bedford-Goffstown, we've mentioned a whole bunch of these uh, um, different matchups. I'm probably missing a key one or two there, but, uh, oh, Merrimack-North. I just think there's a lot of really good football to be played this week. I, I thought last week was interesting, and there were some pretty good matchups, and obviously uh, um, some great games were played. Uh, we, we mentioned the game of the season was probably played last week, uh, at least thus far. But I, I think that this particular round of the playoffs has the opportunity to be uh, pretty amazing this weekend. So I, I think there's a lot to be looked forward to here. I am looking forward to some warmer weather and uh, possibly even breaking out the, the shorts again on Saturday. Yes, uh, sir. Is, I mean, amongst other things. I mean, there are plenty of other things on the field I'm looking forward to, but that's also a being out in the well, sun. Well, shorts are also sense. important, though. Let's not, <laughs> let's not underscore or undersell the importance of being able to get the shorts back out. <laughs> well, I think that'll, uh, that'll pretty much wrap it up for us uh, on another, uh, another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show. I definitely want to uh, thank our new sponsor, uh, Greenblatt and O'Rourke PLLC. You can check them out at uh, golaw-nh.com or give them a call at 603-746-1330. Uh, Mike, thanks again for uh, for doing this and for joining me for another week and looking forward to next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. We shall have a lot to talk about, I'm sure. He is Mike Lockman. I am Joe Marcellina. Thanks for listening.